The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 13. Lucky number 13. Hey guys, it's a new week and I am finally sitting down and doing another Q&A for you guys. It's been a little while since I've done a solo episode because we took a break over the holidays and, you know, it takes a little bit more time for me to do this. So I just didn't have the time to sit down and just record a Q&A, but we are doing a Q&A today, guys. Today, this episode is going to be all about C-sections. I like to do these Q&As where I focus on one subject, and this is a common topic that I get in my Q&A boxes that you know people say, talk about C-sections more, talk about C-sections more. So you guys got it. I'm going to be talking all about C-sections today and answering all of your questions. I put out a box a while back, I think it was in February or March of last year, and I just did a story questions that was targeted towards C-section moms. And so I've taken some of those questions and answered some of those for you. And these are some of the most common questions that I see So first, we're going to talk about what a C-section entails and what you can expect, because I think that alleviates a lot of people's fear up front if I just talk about the procedure and this is what it is. And then we're going to go into specific questions. So let's get started, guys. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. All right, guys, let's jump right into the C-section episode and get right straight to the questions. So I think I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 or 14 questions from you guys from that Q&A box. So the first one, and I don't know if this was from my Q&A box or it was just, it's just a a good start off question. So what are some of the reasons why a C-section is warranted? So let's go over some of the most common reasons why someone might have a C-section. So let's say you are in labor and you've been laboring for a really long time and your baby is just having a hard time really adjusting to labor. His heart rate is dipping really low and certain interventions have already been taken to try and increase his heart rate, get it back up to normal multiple times, but they have failed and his heart rate is unstable. This is a very common reason why someone would have a C-section. That baby is just not tolerating labor very well. A very safe and a very warranted reason. Next reason, maybe you've been pushing for a really, really long time and it's not looking like, you know, there's little or no progress that's really being made. So 
I'm talking about three hours, two, three hours, and absolutely no progress is made. Baby is still very, very high up in your pelvis. And when you're pushing, baby is not descending at all. Maybe your doctor tries to, or your midwife tries to perform an assisted delivery with forceps or vacuum and is unsuccessful. That is also a very warranted reason why someone would have a C-section. And the technical term for that is failure to descend. And fun fact, that is the reason why my mom had a C-section with me. She was pushing and pushing, pushing forever, and I just did not descend. All right, so one of the next reasons is maybe you've had two or more C-sections before because you've tried to labor and were unsuccessful, and you just decide, hey, I do not want to try this again. I would like to have a C-section. That is completely fine. You don't even have to have two or more, but maybe you've had one C-section before and you say, hey, you know what? I'm looking at the risks versus the benefits and you know, I would not really like to V-back. Completely fine. Next really common reason is maybe baby's presenting part is not its head, his or her head, okay? So maybe baby's shoulder or the side of baby, or even baby's face, or baby's butt, a breech presentation. Any other part besides the head is the presenting part to your cervix. It's usually not a great idea. Some cases, you know, in some instances, we've seen breech births and they are perfectly safe and fine, but pretty much in all other instances and any other body parts besides your head, a C-section is a very, very good idea for a baby. Another common reason is maybe baby has some birth defects that we know about because we've done ultrasounds during your pregnancy and it's just not safe for baby to have a vaginal delivery. Another common reason is where your placenta is. So if your placenta is very close to your cervix, maybe touching your cervix, or if it's covering your cervix, it is absolutely not safe for you to be laboring and for baby to come out of your vagina because it just, it simply cannot (laughs) if it's in the way. Now, babies have been born vaginally with their placentas that are touching their cervix or very close to their cervix. But again, usually not a good idea and your provider's probably going to recommend you have a C-section because When we talk about the placenta being too close to your cervix, it has a much higher rate of abrupting. And that just simply means that your placenta tears away from your uterus and it can be very dangerous for baby. Another common reason is maybe you have a chronic health condition where maybe you have a heart condition where your provider, your cardiologist, who's ever following you says, hey, you know what? The stress of labor on you, mom, is probably not a good idea. So we recommend you having a C-section. Another reason is one that's called a cord prolapse. And this is just simply an emergency that can happen in labor. It's a very freak emergency. And so basically what happens is the umbilical cord kind of gets in front of baby's head. And sometimes it's just kind of there and you can't see it outside of your vagina. We can just feel it with a cervical check. And sometimes it's actually hanging out of your vagina. And this is definitely a reason why mom would have a C-section because this can be very dangerous for baby. Anytime we are cutting off the umbilical cord, baby can be in trouble. So this is, you know, a common reason why somebody would have a true emergency C-section. 
A common, but not so common, I guess anymore, is maybe you're carrying multiples, so you have twins or even triplets, and it really depends, you know, plenty of moms deliver multiples vaginally, that's definitely a thing, but maybe that first baby is not head down. Maybe that first baby is transverse or breech and the other baby is not head down either. It's really dependent on what that first baby is looking like. If that first baby is not head down, your provider is usually going to recommend that you have a C-section because it's the safest thing for both babies at that time. And then the last reason, I know this was a really long question, guys. <laughs> then the last reason is maybe you have something called CPD, cephalopelvic disproportion. And this honestly gets diagnosed a lot more frequently than it probably should. And this just means that your pelvis is too small to deliver baby vaginally, or maybe baby's head is too large for your pelvis. All right, so the next question is, what can I expect when I go to the hospital for my scheduled C-section? This is gonna be a long question too, guys. (laughs) The next ones are pretty short. So this question, I'm basically going to go over if you were to have what's called a scheduled C-section, okay? All of this stuff still applies if you have an unscheduled C-section or an emergency C-section. We're gonna still do you know, pretty much all of this stuff, but we're gonna do it much more rapidly. (laughs) This, what I'm going to be talking about is, you know, let's say your provider says, hey, we're going to schedule your C-section on XYZ. And this is you, you know, coming into the hospital to have your C-section. So if you schedule your C-section, your doctor will ask you to be at the hospital about two to three hours before your actual surgery. This is because we want to start an IV, we want to draw your blood, we need to wait for the blood to result, and we want to monitor your baby and give you lots of fluids. And this all, you know, kind of takes a lot of time. There's a lot of people that have to see you. Anesthesia has to see you. Your doctor has to see you. Sometimes there's other things going on the floor where maybe there's another C-section, you know, an unscheduled C-section going on. So we want you there just in plenty of time. It's also important to note that your doctor won't let you eat anything for at least eight hours before your surgery, okay? And this is very important. And this is actually another question that I'm gonna go over exactly why you can't eat, but this is pretty typical of all surgeries that you're not allowed to really eat anything at least eight hours before your surgery. So that means if your surgery is at 8 a.m., you know, let's not eat anything after midnight. So once you get to the hospital, you will be asked to undress completely, take off all your jewelry, change into a gown, and then we will put you on the monitor and watch baby's heart rate for a while while we go over all your health history. So we're asking you all these questions for our database, make sure we check all of our boxes, make sure we don't miss anything from your prenatal records. And then the most important task that I need to complete is actually starting your IV and getting a few blood tubes down to our lab. These blood tests sometimes can take a long time, (laughs) depending on what's going on. So it's really important that we kind of do that kind of as soon as you arrive. And let's say you're kind of a hard stick. Maybe, you know, you don't have the best veins, you're not super hydrated, whatever. So it might take a little while to get your IV and get this blood. So that's why we kind of do this, you know, on the front end. 
So once we get all your health history completed, your IV started, your paperwork completed, your doctor's going to come and see you and explain how your procedure will go. And this will be a time when you guys can have a conversation and you can ask questions of him or her and he will have, he or she will have you sign a consent form for your surgery. Your doctor may also perform an ultrasound at this time. Some doctors don't really do this for scheduled C-sections, but sometimes, you know, especially if you're there because you have a breach presentation, they're going to check you, you know, before we go back and make sure, hey, baby's still breached or, oh my gosh, hey, baby flipped. Do you still want to have your (laughs) C-section? Sometimes babies like to magically flip around and become head down on the day of your surgery and... Yeah, that totally happens. So the next person who's going to talk to you, there's a lot of a lot of before steps, like I said. The next person who's going to talk to you is either your anesthesiologist or a nurse anesthetist. A member of the anesthesia team is always 100% of the time in the operating room during your surgery. So they have a checklist of things that they have to do and their own consent form that they have to have you fill out and their own assessment that they have to do with you. And this is also a person that you can ask questions of and they'll answer, you know, any questions that you have specifically about the anesthesia that you'll receive. So once everyone that needs to see you has been in the room, I will grab a set of OR clothes. That's like a big zip up <laughs> blue. We Ours are blue. A big zip up blue gown, a little hat and some shoe covers and a mask for whoever you want to go back in the OR with you, either you know your partner or your mom or your sister, whoever. And I'll also grab you a dose of this stuff called sodium bicarbonate. And sodium bicarbonate is routinely given before this type of surgery because I'm not sure if it's given, see, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's given before every single surgery, but it's definitely given before C-sections. So sodium bicarbonate is, if you've ever had a C-section, you probably remember it. It's a little liquid medication that helps to neutralize the acid in your stomach In the event that you vomit while you're laying flat on the OR table, which sometimes happens, and you breathe in a little bit of vomit to your lungs, this happens. Most of the time, this is going to happen if you go under general anesthesia, so you're asleep, but it has happened. You know, when you're awake, you can inhale this vomit. The acidity of your stomach contents can be harmful to your lung tissues. So sodium bicarbonate helps to kind of neutralize that acid just in case that happens. But don't worry, this is like a pretty rare event. This doesn't happen very often at all. So like I said, if you've had a C-section before, you probably remember having this stuff because it does not taste good. It's like the size of a tequila shot and it tastes like, I've never had it personally, but I've heard people describe it as dirty socks, (laughs) sour grapes, like a nasty Gatorade mixed with ocean water. So not the most pleasant, but it is necessary. All right, so we've done all the prep stuff. Now it is time to head back to the OR. So your partner or whoever you decide who's gonna go back to the OR with you is gonna stay back in your room for about 15 to 20 minutes while we prep you in the operating room. And then once we get back there, the first order of business is numbing you up. Generally, if you have no medical history, the anesthesiologist will be performing a spinal tap and giving you a medication that numbs you from the waist down. So most people in a scheduled C-section, unless you have medical issues, are going to be able to stay awake and just have that spinal tap done. 
If you're having an unscheduled or a semi-emergency C-section, true emergency C-sections, in most cases, we do have to put you under general anesthesia. But if you're having an unscheduled C-section, you're laboring, and you already have an epidural place during labor, we skip this step. So the anesthesia team will just dose your epidural as long as your epidural was working properly before your surgery. If it wasn't working at all, then we still have to go through this step of having a spinal done. So once we get to the room, you'll sit on the edge of the OR table and anesthesia will prep you. And it's really important to remember to sit very, very, very still during this procedure and also to curl your back kind of in this C shape. If you've ever seen uh, like a scared cat, you know, their back is really, really curved or like a shrimp kind of looks like a shrimp. You'll want to sit very slouched and like with very, very bad posture. You want your head and neck rolled down, looking at your feet. And once your back is prepped, a small needle, very small needle, will be inserted to numb your back, following by a large needle that's used for placement. This process is similar but not similar to receiving an epidural. It seems similar to you. So really what I like to stress to people is that first needle, that first very, very small needle, is actually the part that hurts the worst. The larger needle that's actually used for placement, and it's actually, when you get a spinal, it's not even that big of a needle, but that first little tiny needle that's just that medicine is the part that really hurts because it's the medicine that stings. You know, needles hurt anytime you get a needle stuck in you and it hurts, but really what you're feeling, that bee sting feeling, is that medication. So once your anesthesiologist has found the placement, where it goes, he or she will deliver that medication and your feet will very quickly begin to go numb. So contrarily to epidural placement, no type of line will stay in your back. Everything comes off, you know, it's just a little and then it's done. Nothing gets taped up, nothing stays in your back. And it also works really, really, really fast. So an epidural takes about 10 to 20 minutes to really completely sink in, a spinal is like, bam. (laughs) So once they are all finished, we will get you, you know, laying flat on the OR table, get your feet up there because your feet are already starting to go really, really numb. And once you're flat, I'll listen to baby's heart rate for just a few seconds to make sure that we're all good. We don't need to go like even faster. (laughs) And I'll also put a big bump, like a big pillow, kind of like a rolled up blanket underneath your right hip. This bump, it just helps to maximize your blood flow output to baby, and that's the only reason we really do it. So by this point, once we get laying down, your legs probably have completely almost gone numb. So I'll then insert what's called a Foley catheter into your bladder if you've ever had a catheter, and this should not hurt. You shouldn't feel anything at all at this point. You'll be super, super numb. Some hospitals also routinely perform, my hospital does, what's called a vaginal prep for all C-sections. And this is just done to reduce infections of the surgical skin site or any infection of the uterus, aka endometriitis, post-op. I basically, all you do is you just take this big, like wet, floppy sponge and you just kind of paint your groin area, your vagina, and then you kind of go inside your vagina and, you know, take that sponge and kind of circle it around and then you kind of do your bottom as well. Again, like the catheter, you're going to be super numb. You're not going to be really feeling this at all. 
So once we're all good there, I'll also place what's called sequential compression devices, SCDs, on your calves. And these are actually worn by almost all surgical patients in the United States during surgery and post-op as well. And you'll probably have them for a good time post-op until you start, you know, really walking around. And SCDs are basically these big Velcro calf sleeves that are connected to a big pump that inflates and deflates every few seconds. So they squeeze your leg sporadically like this because they are thought to help increase blood flow to the lower half of your body. And this in turn reduces the likelihood of you developing any blood clots. We don't like blood clots. We don't want to have blood clots. (laughs) Those are not fun for anybody. Sometimes if you're in the hospital too, if you have a long extended stay in the hospital and you're required to have bed rest during your stay, your provider might order these SCDs for you to put these on, you know, while you're in bed too, just again, to prevent blood clots. All right. So once I've completed all these tasks, we are going to strap you down, strap your legs down with a safety belt to make sure you don't fall. And then we're going to paint your belly with a solution for surgery. This only takes a few minutes and then the doctor will suit up and hang a sterile drape over you and prep you for your incision. Some hospitals also have clear drapes that can be requested so you can see baby come out live in action. And definitely if that's something that interests you, check with your provider because a lot of hospitals do have that now where you can you can peek, you know, look and see as baby's actually coming out. So once we've got you all draped, the medical team will do a quick timeout just to make sure we're all in the right place, we're doing the right surgery on the right person, you know, your birthday's right, your allergies are right, all your stuff is right, and then we get started. Your doctor is going to test your incision site to make sure you are completely numb because Uh uh-uh, no, we don't want to even go near that. We don't want to cut anybody open. That is not numb. (laughs) And then once we verify that you are numb and everything's good, then we can go get your partner to come sit with you during surgery. Depending on what kind of hospital that you deliver at, a pediatric team may also be present at your delivery. And this is pretty standard where I work at. So right around the time of incision is when we usually call them and they come in the room too. They are just basically in charge of catching baby from the doctor, stabilizing baby if baby needs to be stabilized and assigning APGARs. All right, so it is time for incision. So we start cutting you open. And me as the you know circulating nurse, I'm making a note of all the key events that are happening in the OR. So if you hear me saying, you know, incision or uterus or you know, all of these words, it's just because we're all kind of trying to be on the same page with our times. So if you've never had any sort of abdominal surgery before, this is your first C-section, the time from when the doctor makes the first incision of your skin to when baby is born is actually pretty quick. It's like minutes. If you have had another C-section or any sort of other abdominal surgery, you may have what's called scar tissue in your ear incision, and sometimes this can take a little bit of time for the doctor to kind of cut through this scar tissue. And once, you know, everything's cut through, then the incision is made into your uterus and baby is born just a few seconds later. You pretty much won't have felt anything up to this point, but, you know, as the doctor is manipulating baby from your uterus, sometimes 
moms report that they feel just a ton of abdominal pressure and discomfort and breathing through it. And I tell moms, you know, if they're having difficulty with this, try to really take some deep breaths and breathe through it because it is it is very short-lived. All right, so baby is out. Baby will be stabilized. The umbilical cord will be clamped and cut and APGARs will be assigned. And this is the time when your partner or who is ever in the OR with you may come over to the warmer and get a first few looks and pictures of baby. If you're feeling up to it as well, most facilities will let you do skin to skin. Some moms aren't too keen on doing this in the OR and that's perfectly fine, you know, and perfectly up to you. Many moms say, you know what, I'm good. Let me just lay on this OR table by myself, dad, partner, whoever, you can hold baby. And then once we get to the PACU, we can do lots of skin to skin. So after baby is out, your placenta will be detached. Remember, your placenta has to come out too. It, it doesn't just stay in there. It comes out the same you know, incision. And then comes the longest part of the entire thing is kind of stitching everything back together. So your doctor will start by sewing your uterus back up, followed by each layer he or she has kind of cut through. And while this is going on, we will be giving you Pitocin through your IV and monitoring your bleeding. Pitocin is given routinely during C-sections afterward to help decrease the amount of postpartum bleeding and It's pretty much given to everybody. I mean, this is something that, of course, you can decline any sort of medication, but we usually really strongly recommend that you have this Pitocin because it can really, really help to decrease that postpartum bleeding. So once everything is sewn back up, and again, this is the longest part, you know, this is probably 20 or 25 minutes sometimes, we put a big old dressing over your incision site and we begin just really cleaning you up. So after that big old dressing is on you, we'll move you off of that little OR table to a more comfortable postpartum bed. And then we go to what's called the post-anesthesia care unit, the PACU. And I, as your circulating nurse, will stay with you in that PACU for about two hours. And then we will go to wherever your postpartum room is. And that's pretty much it. I know that was a 30-minute question, but that's pretty much a C-section in a nutshell and kind of what you can expect. All right, question number three Again, these questions are much faster, guys, okay? (laughs) Those first couple questions, you know, was a lot. But these next questions are much quicker. So this next one, this person just asked, can you still do skin to skin? And I kind of talked about that a little bit when I was talking about the procedure. But yes, absolutely, you can still do skin to skin in the OR and in the PACU as long as you want to and as long as baby is stable. And another point to add to is some women do think they want skin to skin at first. Like, I want to do skin to skin in the OR. I want to do skin to skin in the OR. But then when they get on the table, they aren't feeling so good. They kind of change their minds. And that's perfectly fine. So this next question is, can you be awake in an emergency C-section if you haven't had an epidural or a spinal block? And the answer really is, I think I touched on it a little bit, but really in a true emergency section, aka we're trying to get baby out as quickly as possible, like every minute counts, you, depending on the hospital, will likely always go under general anesthesia because it truly is the absolute quickest way to get a baby out. A lot of people think, no, that doesn't make sense, especially if you have an epidural line placed and why can't they just dose it up really quick? But we still have to 
you know, think about what if the epidural doesn't work? And then we're spending minutes saying, okay, I'm dosing. Oh, are you numb? You're not numb. Okay, let me try a different dose. Are you numb now? Oh, you're not numb. Oh, shoot, we got to just put her under. So if we just skipped all of that and we just put mom under, then we would, you know, save some time. All right, so this next question is how long after my C-section can I start massaging my scar? And this is a I think a more popular thing that people are starting to do, we talk about scar mobilization and the importance of scar mobilization. So generally, this is what has been told to me by a physical therapist is that you want to wait at least six weeks on the actual scar. So don't really massage that actual C-section scar, but you can start massaging kind of around the scar sooner than that if you would like, if it feels good. Scar massage can be super, super beneficial, and women can benefit from it even if they've had C-sections like years and years ago. You can still start doing this scar mobilization. Always, 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 like I say, talk to your provider before attempting scar massage. Some providers do recommend seeing a physical therapist first before you even attempt. I'm going to link in the show notes page to a really good scar mobilization video. So definitely check that out too if you're interested. The next question is, if you have an anterior placenta, so that just means that your placenta is in the front versus top or the bottom or the back or the side, it's you know right in the front of your stomach, how does the surgeon know where exactly they're supposed to cut you know, so they don't cut into the placenta? And honestly, in my experience, it's really never really in the way, like a true anterior placenta. The incision is usually way below. That placenta is usually like much higher. And sometimes, you know, of course, there are certain times that they do have to cut into the placenta very, very briefly to deliver baby. But it's such a quick, quick process to get baby out. You know, they cut and then they get baby out that baby's oxygen status really isn't affected at all. All right, so next question is, why truly can I not eat or drink before my C-section? Okay, guys, I know, I understand. We're all hungry, we wanna eat, it sucks, I know. (laughs) I know it's mean, I get really cranky when I'm not allowed to eat too, but there are two real main reasons why this is important. So first one is, any food less than eight hours before your surgery might make you vomit during your surgery, and that's no fun. You might vomit anyways, but it might make you vomit even more. And, you know, vomiting while you're lying on your back is not only not fun, it can also be dangerous. Like I said, you know, when I was explaining everything, because you have a higher likelihood of inhaling that vomit. And that brings me to number two reason. So food, any less than eight hours before any type of surgery can ultimately make you throw up, inhale, and you can get gastrointestinal contents into your lungs. So we talked about that too. Your stomach is a much less sterile place than your lungs, okay? And it can be a source of infection, aka pneumonia, okay? We don't want to get pneumonia from these stomach contents. Aspirational pneumonia is what this is called, and it's pretty scary and can be life-threatening. So we just don't want that, okay? So just, just don't eat. Next question is, do they cut through your old scar for any repeat C-sections? And the answer is yes, 99% of the time. There are certain cases where 
maybe it's a true emergency and they have to do what's called a vertical cut to get baby out the safest way, but 99.9% of the time, they're going to use the same exact incision. Next question is, are there any tips or tricks to distract me so I can handle the spinal girl? Yes, <laughs> I know. I it's so funny because I'm a nurse and I hate needles um, when they're when you know when they're being performed on me. So here are just a couple tips and tricks that I use when I'm getting stuck by a needle and what I tell my patients as well. So number one, go to your happy place, whether that's you know you're thinking about your bed or you're thinking about the beach, or you're thinking about the mountains, or a cloud, or wherever, go to your happy place. Okay, think about your happy place. Number two, try to focus on staying really as curved over and as still as possible. And that is really just because the better that you can do that, the more curved over in that position that you can be, the quicker it's going to be over. Number three is relax as best you can. This goes along with being in your happy place because tension, you know, may also impede things if we're really, really stiff. So we want to really, really relax our shoulders, relax our head, relax everything as much as possible. Last tip is wiggle your toes. I was at the gynecologist today, actually. I went to see my gynecologist and she told me this because I was really tense and got me. She was just, she was like, just wiggle your toes, Lisa. It's okay. (laughs) And I focused on wiggle my toes and I relaxed. That is a fun little trick. And I tell patients that too. I think it's just like a, like a little distraction. (laughs) All right. I think we have three more little questions and then we are done. So this Next question is, why did I vomit so much during my C-section and will that happen again? First of all, I'm sorry. Vomiting is no fun. I hate vomiting. (laughs) And some people do this as a side effect from anesthesia. It's very, very, very common. And sometimes you do this just because you're laying flat for a long period or even from blood pressure changes. And so, you know, sometimes it's just a combination of all of this stuff. Unfortunately, it may happen again, you know, especially if this has happened before, you've had one C-section, you may have a whole lot of vomiting. There are certain medications that we can give you preemptively knowing that, hey, this patient is extra (laughs) vomity. So, you know, make sure to let them know because you may be able to get these medications beforehand. All right, next question is, why do your feet swell up again after you have a C-section? So this is a thing even with vaginal deliveries, but more so with C-sections. And really the main reason is because they load you up with so much dang fluid. We give you so much fluid because this is a surgery and you typically lose a little bit more blood with a C-section versus vaginal delivery. So we're going to load you up with lots of fluid in anticipation of that fluid shift. And just because your blood pressures may change, we want to make sure that you're nice and loaded up with fluids. So because you are so loaded up with fluids, fluids got to go somewhere, right? And hashtag gravity, (laughs) it goes to your feet. Eventually, you diurese and you start peeing all that fluid out. It comes out eventually, but it is not uncommon for you to be extra, extra, extra swollen, you know, after you have this C-section, like before you even came to the hospital. Oh my gosh, three or four days after I deliver, my feet are ginormous. Eventually it goes down, I promise. All right. And the final question is, 
Can a C-section affect your milk supply if you choose to breastfeed? And the answer is actually yes. I've heard some, even lactation consultants say, no, C-sections don't affect your milk supply, like you can still breastfeed, which that's true. You can absolutely still breastfeed if you have a C-section, but it is true that if you have a C-section, it can totally affect your milk supply, and there are a few reasons. So number one, we've already talked about you might lose a little bit more blood. You might be a little bit more depleted. Your body might say, hey, I'm going to make some more blood before I start really making some milk. Number two, you might not be able to breastfeed right away if your surgery is complicated or it's long, or maybe you had a C-section because baby wasn't stable and you can't be near baby. You know, maybe you delay that first breastfeeding, so that can also impact your milk supply. And then number three, and probably the most important, is stress. So if you have a very stressful delivery, regardless of if you have a C-section or a vaginal delivery, stress is a big, big, big hindrance on your milk supply. If you have an unplanned or emergency C-section, your milk supply absolutely can really take a toll. And just keep that in mind if this is you, if you're struggling with your milk supply and you're like, I had a really stressful delivery, I had a really stressful C-section. Mm, ding, 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 might have something to do with it. All right, guys, so that is it for this episode. I had a lot of fun. I feel like I'm out of breath because I've been talking for the past 45 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, super fun to do these Q&As and really dive deep into these topics. So yeah, I will see you guys next week. All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.